By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. In a much different place than a year ago, the structured finance and covered bond worlds go into 2022 facing more certainty, albeit with the specter of COVID-19 variants still looming. Covered bond issuers are generally stable, while consumer and corporate debt performance is strong on the back of economic rebounds around the globe. Meanwhile, as issuance continues to surge, structured finance markets are falling in line with a variety of trends, such as a growing focus on ESG considerations. I'm Aaron Johnson, and this is Moody's Talks Securitization Spotlight. In today's episode, I'll talk with Ed Manchester from our Covered Bonds Group in Europe and Jim Ahern, the global head of our Structured Finance Group. First, we'll talk with Ed about our expectations for covered bonds in 2022, and then we'll bring on Jim to discuss some high-level global themes that will affect structured finance in general. Ed, it's glad to have you. We haven't gotten a uh, covered bond-specific segment yet in our nearly year of securitization spotlight. Hello, Aaron. It's good to be here. Let's start out with the outlook, seeing as we just published. What is our outlook for the credit quality of covered bonds in 2022? Well, Aaron, the outlook is for credit quality to remain strong next year. And I'd say there are two main drivers behind this. First, the stability of banks that issue covered bonds. And second, the continuing strong performance of cover pools, which mostly consist of residential mortgages. Let's look at those drivers separately. Can you give us first some color on the prospects for covered bond issuers next year? Sure. In the countries where we rate covered bonds, mainly in Europe, but also in Canada and in the Asia-Pacific region, we expect banks will benefit from the continued global economic recovery. And this is reflected in stable or positive rating outlooks for most issuers. To give you some numbers, out of around 170 issuers with public ratings, the outlooks are stable for over 140, and fewer than 10 issuers have negative outlooks. Let's move on to the assets themselves. You mentioned that they'll perform strongly over the next year. Can you expand on that? Yes, we've seen very good asset performance in 2021. Cover pool arrears rates have broadly fallen below pre-pandemic levels uh, across all regions. And this is despite the wind down of support measures like payment holidays and furlough schemes. As the pandemic effects lessen further and unemployment continues to fall in most advanced economies, we expect loan performance will stay strong in 2022. As always, there are risks on the horizon. So what should investors keep their eyes on? Well, as we all know, risks from the pandemic remain high and further containment measures could slow down the economic recovery. And although we expect inflationary pressures to abate next year, there is a risk that they will persist, which would put a strain on household budgets and could force central banks to accelerate the normalization of interest rates. It's also worth noting that we've seen widespread rapid house price growth during the pandemic, and this has stretched price-to-income ratios to historically high levels. Just to be clear, covered bonds do have a lot of built-in strengths, and a big mitigant to those risks is the strength of the issuers, as covered bonds are backed by not only asset cash flows, but the faith of the banks themselves, right? Yes. In fact, issuers are the primary source of payment for covered bonds. 
and over 90% of issuers are investment grade. So that's a strong first line of defense. Outside of the issuers, there's a number of asset and structural standpoints that will help protect covered bonds in 2022 as well. That's correct. In terms of asset quality, covered bonds have two main protections. First, many cover pools are highly seasoned. So as house prices have increased in recent years, equity buffers for cover pool loans have also gone up. On average, cover pool loan to value ratios are now below 55%. So the mortgage loans backing covered bonds could withstand even a fairly large correction in house prices. The second key protection is over-collateralization, or OC, which is the amount of cover pool assets in excess of covered bonds. Now, OC levels vary widely across programs and countries. But to give you an idea, the weighted average OC for programs we rate is currently around 50% which means cover bonds could be fully repaid from cover pool assets, even if up to one third of the cover pool is lost. Got it. And to close out, let's talk a little bit about the regulatory landscape in cover bond world. There's a number of jurisdictions, but there's a harmonization directive in the works that uh, issuers will have to comply with by July 2022. What will the impact of that be? Well, we view the directive as positive for European covered bonds because many countries will need to include new credit protections under their national laws, such as a mandatory 180-day liquidity reserve. But the EU has allowed member states quite a lot of discretion in how they implement the directive, which will produce some uneven credit outcomes across countries. For example, we will see differences in how the liquidity reserve is calculated and in the type of triggers that can lead to maturity extensions. If anyone is interested in more detail, we've recently published our 2022 outlook for covered bonds, which includes a section on the directive. Thanks for uh, joining us finally, Ed, and giving us a look into the covered bond world. Thank you, Aaron. Now let's turn to Jim. Thanks for joining us, Jim. I think this is your first appearance on our podcast, despite being the head of the group. You finally convinced me to join. Happy to be here. Glad you could fit us into your schedule. So let's get into it. Although we're clearly not out of the woods when it comes to COVID, with variants still a significant threat around the globe, major economies around the globe did bounce back in 21 and are still gaining some steam. Structured finance markets have followed suit. How much do we expect the issuance boom we've seen to kind of continue in 2022? I would say, yeah, 2021 was a very active year for global structured finance certainly rebounding from the COVID muted levels we saw in 2020. This year alone, so in 2021, Moody's has rated more than half a trillion dollars of structured finance bonds. And I think we're expecting to see sustained issuance volume into next year. You know, we're going to see new loan creation and CLOs. We're going to continue to see a lot of commercial real estate refinancing. We're going to see higher loan balances from consumer credit. We've seen a lot of inflation with house prices, auto prices, and that's going to drive more volume in those markets for securitization. We're also expecting to see continued growth in some of the less traditional securitization sectors, sectors that the market may call esoteric, such as crazy CLOs, transportation equipment, like containers, rail car aircraft. We're watching more from energy infrastructure, cost recovery transactions, as well as a lot of smaller consumer lenders. And to our listeners, I heard Jim say Cray CLOs. That's the slang for CRE CLOs, commercial real estate CLOs, everybody. From a credit quality standpoint, we didn't see widespread deterioration. 
in terms of credit quality or performance in the structured finance markets, at least partly thanks to government intervention, but also constraint from lenders. And there's been some reversion to pre-pandemic norms in the past year. So kind of to what extent do we expect that stability to last into 2022? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think government response as well as lender restraint were certainly factors that surprised us. I mean, we thought we were going to see much more deterioration in credit performance than we've actually seen. And as we're heading into 2022, I think we're going to continue to see pretty strong performance. You're seeing high recovery values as collateral values have gone up. Again, you're seeing decisive policy actions. We're going to continue to see contributions from improved asset values into 2022. And to be clear, we still don't expect deterioration, really. We do expect performance to be relatively strong going into next year, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, as we, as we looked at what happened in 2021, I think we're expecting to see similar good performance as we go into 2022. We're looking at, you know, some factors like leverage loan defaults and how that can affect CLO performance. We're projecting pretty low defaults in leverage loans for 2022. We are watching areas like small business lending because that hasn't recovered as quickly from COVID as other markets. U.S. commercial real estate still has pockets of risk and vulnerability, certainly in areas like leisure and hospitality. An office is becoming an area of increased concern. We're watching remote working and hybrid working arrangements play themselves out. Although I would say with CMBS generally, a lot of the collateral has strong tenancy and also benefits from long-term leases. Let's pivot a little bit to talk about some big themes that have been permeating the structured finance world, both as a result of COVID and even before COVID kicked in. First off, environmental, social, and governance-related issues, or ESG as we call them. What are some of the sectors that are leaning into that the most? Yeah, so maybe first to just talk about ESG generally. And, you know, to me, ESG is a topic of every conversation Moody's is having with every investor and even many of the issuers. And that's not going to change heading into 2022. We're still talking about two areas of ESG. One is values, which is really measurement of ESG and those associated metrics, you know, data sets, and then value. And for us, value is how ESG factors affect credit. So when we think about values, you know, Moody's has got that covered in a lot of different ways with some of the companies we own and a lot of the investments we're making to really deliver on values-related information around ESG. As to value and where we're focused on as the rating agency is how the ESG factors affect credit and credit performance. So we're rolling out, and we have been rolling out throughout 2021, what are called uh, issuer profile scores, and we're also rolling out credit impact scores. We're going to continue to see those rollouts into 2022. We expect to have most, if not all, structured finance markets covered with IPS and CIS as we get through the end of the year. So very much helping the market understand the value side of ESG in our conversations. Interesting. Now, looking from an issuer standpoint, some of the asset classes that we do see some of the most movement in terms of kind of structuring themselves along the lines of ESG include CLOs explicitly in their documentation. And then implicitly, like we see auto loan ABS with growing shares of alternative fuel vehicles. Can you talk a little bit about how that's progressed? Yeah, no, and I, I think to get into some more granularity, you know, ESG credit factors are not that prominent in structured finance transactions. Typically, they're hedged, enhanced 
or they're even carved out of the structure before the deal hits the market. But you're right. There are some areas of ESG-related theme that we are seeing in structured markets. And certainly CLOs is one. We're seeing the structures dictating what's eligible for purchase, and it may have ESG-related screening factors. We're also seeing, like you mentioned, you know, an increased inclusion of alternative fuel vehicles in a lot of the auto transactions we're seeing globally, hybrid as well as electric. And that's going to be a continued theme. And we're watching residual values on a product like that because there are different residual values to alternative fuel vehicles. A couple other quick factors, we're seeing use of proceeds, constraints in the structures so that the issuance has to be used for certain ESG or green spending needs. And then obviously in some areas where there's real estate involved, particularly commercial real estate, we're seeing a big focus on energy efficiency in the contracts or the properties themselves. So a lot of different tentacles to where ESG is coming into play. Interesting. Another big issue coming to a head soon will be the transition away from LIBOR. But there are some looming risks in the CLO world, for example, is still a big issue in other sectors as well. Can you talk a little bit more about how the market's preparing or not preparing? Yeah, no, I think that is a topic that's been on our minds for several years. It's, you know, LIBOR transition has been a train that's been coming for many years now, and the market's had time to prepare. But nonetheless, I saw some research we published recently about how much structured finance is still exposed to LIBOR-related contracts. And we generally don't think there's going to be much credit impact to the LIBOR transition. Generally, what it causes is a change in basis risk. And generally, basis risk is going to affect the mes and sub-tranches of transactions. We don't think that the change in basis is going to be that material. But to your earlier question, there are some sectors where we probably see more vulnerability. You've got legacy LIBOR contracts in some transactions, like student loans, where the asset side is LIBOR-based. There's potential litigation risks or operating risks that could come into play. CLOs are still a LIBOR-based market, both on the asset side with leveraged loans as well as the liability side. And this is something we're going to have to continue to watch heading into 2022. And to our listeners, I think we did a whole podcast on that earlier this year. So I'd encourage you to check that out. To finish up, let's stay in that lane of kind of changing policies. What kind of initiatives do you see coming to a head or kind of emerging in 2022? I think there's three in my mind. I mean, the first is what we just talked about, LIBOR. We are seeing some policy changes, some potential legislative changes to help facilitate the transition in a way that we might avoid litigation between investors and the issuers. We think that's a positive and will help bring clarity to that situation. The second is we're seeing the easing of a lot of the government support that was COVID-driven. We may also see some tightening of interest rates, and that's going to weigh in on credit performance next year. And then lastly, I would say we've been watching for some time now what's happening with the GSEs in the U.S., and, you know, for a while, we were expecting the privatization with the change in government. We're now seeing more of a strength in the GSE model, continued conservatorship. They've increased the lending limits by about 18 percent heading into 2022. We think that's going to favor the public sector RMBS issuance, but might cause some change in volumes and potential opportunities in private RMBS. So that is something that I think will affect issuance but probably good for credit. Interesting. Thanks, Jim. Give our listeners a lot to look out for in the year ahead. So once again, thanks for joining us, Jim. 
Aaron, I'm really happy to be able to do this with you. As we talked about earlier, it's been some time. You know, really appreciate the opportunity. So thank you. All right. To all our listeners, we look forward to having you back again next year in 2022.